Well, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 13. And as you're turning there, um, uh, before we turn to the Word, um, I want to take time to uh, address something that's been weighing on my heart, um, something I feel I need to, to repent of. Uh, last week during um, the Sunday sermon, I uh, made an unwise comment as I stepped away from what I uh, prayerfully had prepared to preach, and I decided to say something off the cuff. Um, and I won't repeat what I said. Um, for those of you who were here and you heard, and as a result you were uh, stumbled or surprised or maybe even hurt or offended, I, I just wanted to ask for your forgiveness. Uh, I'm sorry for that. Um, you know, this past week was, was particularly difficult as I uh, wrestled with, with what I said and why I said it. Um, and it was painful because it, it hurt my pride as a pastor. Um, you know, uh, anytime your immaturity or uh, foolishness uh, is shown in front of you, you're reminded that like you're nowhere near where you want to be or, or who you want to be. And that was my experience this past week. You know, I, I'm nowhere near the, the perfect pastor I, I, I want to be. Um, no, I, th I think I should be for you. So uh, this past week, I, I repented before the Lord, um, and I preached the gospel to myself. And, and I know he forgives me in Christ. I know um, I'm reminded that I'm accepted in Jesus. Um, and so there is forgiveness for me. Uh, and then I, uh, secondly, I asked for forgiveness from each of the deacons, uh, and they were understanding and they were quick to forgive. Um, so thank you, deacons, for showing me that, that, that grace uh, in a tangible way. And uh, before the congregation, I, I just want to ask for your forgiveness, especially if, uh, as a result of what I said, I caused or tempted any of you to lose sight of the glories of Christ uh, and caused you more to linger on my comments. So would you... <coughs> forgive me for being you know distracting instead of directing you to Jesus and um and the only reason I can confess this because I, I don't want to I and because I, I I don't want to appear weak and foolish and unable um and immature I want to appear you know strong to the congregation and, and wise and capable and mature um, but the gospel frees me to believe that uh, God doesn't accept me based on my performance as a pastor, but uh, in Christ. And so um, I do ask for your prayers. Uh, it was just a, a, a painful reminder that I still have uh, a lot of maturing to do in the Lord. And so I would covet your prayers. You probably already know I need a lot of prayer. But, um, so thank you for... Um, letting me pastor you. Thank you for uh, letting me do that despite my own weaknesses and insufficiencies. So I just wanted to say that. Um, and of course, the day I say that, I look out and we have so many visitors and they're wondering, what did this guy do? But the Lord is humbling me even now, so thank you. Well, if you're in John 13, um, we're in a series on the core values of our church, and we're looking at what we call the DNA. And so far, we've covered gospel centrality, and we've covered um, disciple-making. And so we're looking at community fostering. Today's actually our third week on that. So would you stand with me as your act of worship to read and receive God's holy word from John 13? 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from the Father and from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And would you join me in prayer once more? Father, this is um, the second week that we are being opened up and having your words speak to us from John 13. And Father, it proves again and again how rich your word is and how we could actually spend week after week for the rest of our lives uh, on just one portion of your scripture, hearing your voice and seeing the, the humility and the compassion the heart of your son Jesus and being convicted ourselves of our uh, sin and the ways in which we, we fail to live as we ought and, and being reminded of grace. We can uh, focus just on one portion of scripture to, to glean all these truths, Lord. And I pray that today, once again, as we look for a second time at John 13, that your spirit would reveal to, our, to, reveal to us and, and open us up, Lord, and teach us what it means um, to be servant-like. And as we become more servant-like, uh, that the community would uh, grow and would be uh, more edified and encouraged as a result of that, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, when I was in youth group, uh, because of my parents' work schedule, working early in the morning, late into the night, they could never drop me off or pick me up from Friday night uh, youth meetings. And so God sent to our church uh, a gift in the form of our youth group director, uh, who we affectionately called Mr. Doug. Uh, and Mr. Doug would pick me up from fri on Friday afternoons from my high school because we didn't have buses. So he would pick me up and he would drive me to church. And at church, he would lead uh, a praise team Bible study. And then after that finished, he'd get in the church van and he'd go pick up students. Then after he brought them back to church, he would lead the Friday night uh, teaching 
teaching. And then after youth group, he would load up the church van and drive 15 of us uh, back home, dropping each one off at their own homes. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I lived closest to him, so I was last um, on getting dropped off. And in fact, I lived so close to him, we would uh, leave in the van, often leaving church around 10 p.m. or so. He would drop off 14 other students at their doorstep, wait till they got in. Then we would drive back to church, drop off the van, get in his car, and then on the way home, he would drop me off. Uh, and we would leave around 10, and I would usually get home around 12.30 uh, at that time. And this man, Mr. Doug, did this voluntarily, uh, week after week for me, for all these students for 12 years. Um, he did it without pay. Uh, he had a demanding full-time job. Um, and if you're wondering, uh, no, he wasn't married. Uh, in fact, he wouldn't get married till after he was 40 and he had stepped down from this position. And that just has left such an imp uh, impression on me because uh, during those times, I just remember thinking, you know, why does this guy do what he does? Uh, why does he sacrifice so much time for us? Uh, why does he serve such ungrateful kids uh, with such a big heart, even though we're just a big headache to him? Um, and really, I began to understand as I matured in the faith that he did it because he loved Jesus. And every time he picked me up from school and he bought me a meal and he uh, drove me back uh, home late at night and every Bible study he taught and every phone call that he made to check up on me, uh, he was doing it for me and the other students because he knew the Savior. He knew the Savior who served him and he wanted to serve others in the same way. And, and I can say, and my dad often reminds me of this, that um, I most likely wouldn't be a pastor without Mr. Doug in my life. Uh, his sacrificial acts of service actually uh, made me want to enter into the ministry. And so uh, youth group students, uh, Mr. Dan serves you well, so you might be a pastor one day. So. <laughs> You know, yes, God used, God used the truth of Scripture to convict my heart. He used, um, of course, the Holy Spirit to move me. Uh, but he used Mr. Doug's service to really show me what the gospel looks like in tangible and obvious ways. Um, and I bring that up because that's what serving should do. Serving one another should help us see Christ's selfless and sacrificial uh, service to one another. Serving each other should direct our eyes to Jesus. And that's why it's so central to community fostering. Because as we serve one another, it acts as visible uh, and regular reminders of the gospel. So here's our gospel truth today. Serving and being served are both ways God reminds us of the gospel. Very simple one. Serving and being served are both ways God reminds us of the gospel. And as we reflect on this truth, uh, these two points in our gospel truth are simply our two points. Um, being ready and willing to serve, and then being ready and willing to be served. And so with that, let's look at this first point, being ready and willing to serve. Look with me at verses 14 and 15 as we read this again. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Now, it's really interesting, this verse, because some churches have uh, historically interpreted this, this verse very literally. And what I mean by that is some uh, Christians, some churches, uh, take what Jesus says here, what he commands, and they, and they treat it very literally. And so they do in their church the practice of feet washing regularly. It's almost like a third sacrament. You baptize, you, uh, you do baptisms, you do Lord's Supper, and you do feet washing. And so in these churches, on uh, Monday, Thursday, not Monday, Thursday, but Monday, Thursday, which is the Thursday before Good Friday, some churches, they regularly practice this in their uh, church services. They literally interpret this. It's, it's very similar to some, some churches in the South. Uh, there's a portion in Mark, 6 that talk, Mark 16 that talks about uh, handling snakes, and so you may have heard of these, uh, these snake-handling churches in the South. I mean, they take certain verses very literally. But to do that, in this case, is to actually miss the whole entire forest for just one tree. You know, Richard Phillip, he helpfully writes this. He says, uh, Jesus was not establishing a ritual whereby lofty church officials would play act at foot washing during Holy Week. Rather, Jesus' intent was to set forth a lifestyle that emulates the example he sets by his humble act of service. The point of what Jesus is saying here is more of this. Be ready and willing to live a life of humble service to one another. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That if you are a Christian, you are always ready. You are always willing to serve. And then since we as Christians are called into a community, uh, the reality is there will always be needs around us. There will always be people around us to serve. And when you serve others, it's not just a role you fulfill in the Christian life. It's not just a responsibility you have as a Christian. Serving is now an identity you have. It's an identity you receive from Jesus, an identity you put on. I mean, if you think about just uh, the New Testament, for example, and you consider the way that each of these authors are addressing um, their recipients, think about how they refer to themselves. I have uh, just a couple examples up here. In Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. All of these apostles and New Testament writers understood their identity was as a servant. And that to follow into Jesus' calling doesn't mean that you just do some acts of servants. It's a calling to be a servant. And we're transformed then, not just from being sinners to being saints, but from being sinners to being servants. So if you are a Christian, let me ask you this question. Are you serving? Are you serving? Who are you serving? And how are you serving? Are you serving? Who are you serving? How are you serving? Now, this is important. How you interpret this question, how you, how you actually answer the questions I just uh, threw out there uh, will actually reveal something about the way that you um, understand serving. Now, uh, let me put it this way. Um, when you think about serving and you think about being a Christian and serving in the church, uh, do you think about serving in some kind of official capacity? When, when I ask you, are you serving, are you thinking, well, hmm, am I, on my, am I on a team? Am I on a committee? Am I engaged in some ministry? Have the leaders asked me to serve in a specific way? Because to be honest, when we oftentimes think about serving, most of us think about serving uh, not people in a church, but we think about serving in terms of some program of the church. 
Now, what do I mean by this? Well, take this uh, question and, and answer, for example. If I were to ask, you know, hypothetically, do you serve? I think some people would say, yes, I serve. I'm on the welcome team. Or do you serve? And you might answer, no, I don't serve, but I hope to join the praise team one day. And the very fact that you respond in this kind of way reveals that you think of serving more in terms of uh, programs and committees and ministries than you do in terms of people and members. Because often when, when, when I talk to people about serving and I ask, well, why don't you serve? Uh, you get answers like, well, I'm not a member yet. No one has asked me. I'm not sure where to serve. And in this way, you're thinking of serving more as a position to have rather than a posture and a practice. You see, we cannot think of serving in this way. It's not simply a role and responsibility. It's an identity you embrace. Whether asked or not, whether official or not, to embrace the identity of servant means that you start looking for ways to serve. You take the initiative yourself. Now here's the obvious problem. If you're not in a community, uh, then you won't readily see the needs around you. If you're not hanging out with other Christians, you're not spending time with them, then you don't know what the needs are, and so you're waiting to be directed, to be asked to serve in a certain way. And until you're asked, until you're directed, you're just kind of sitting on your hands. But if you're in a community, those needs become clear. They arise right in front of you. If you're really involved in a community, there's no way you can turn a blind eye to all the needs of the church. Right? The more distant you are from the community, the more blind you will be, but the more you're involved you are, the more you can see. And we need open eyes, because we need to now look at our communities with eyes of service. We need to be ready and willing to serve. You know, this past February, I uh, went out to Seattle for a family emergency, and I grew up in Seattle and then, you know, moved here to the East Coast. Uh, and since then, I've visited a few times, but it wasn't until recently that, uh, until, it wasn't until this past February that someone actually mentioned to me uh, Seattle's rampant homelessness problem. And, um, you know, until then, every time I had gone, uh, I hadn't seen it. But once someone put it in my mind, I couldn't help but see homeless people everywhere. You know, were they not there before? No, of course they were. They were always present. I just didn't have eyes to see them. Once something is on your radar, then you latch on. You know, last week, uh, I, I confessed and admitted to you, you know, that I have uh, big, drooping, uh, unattached earlobes. You know, did my ears magically get bigger this week? I hope not. <laughs> but some of you suddenly start noticing, and you say, huh, they are pretty big. <laughs> now you have eyes to see. What are those needs around you <laughs> that you can begin serving now, serving today? You know, you won't see, you won't anticipate any needs of people to serve in uh, the community around you unless you begin looking with serving eyes, unless you're ready and you're willing to serve. And that's the pattern of our Savior. He was ready and willing to serve. He didn't wait for his disciples to realize their sin and then ask him for forgiveness. In the same way, he comes to us when we are dead in sins and totally unaware of it. He saw our need. He anticipated and he came to us. Jesus comes to us on his own initiative because he knows our needs even before we know them. He knew everything we needed even before we asked him for any help. So John actually says, if you look at verse one, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Meaning this, Jesus came into the world ready to serve, knowing he was going to die for us. Knowing he would come and the cost of what he would have to pay was his very own life. And yet it says that because he loved us, in fact, he loved us until the end, that he was willing to serve by taking on the cross for us to do much more than simply wash our feet clean, but to wash our hearts of every guilt and stain. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so every time that we are ready and willing to serve one another and we are looking for people's needs that we can serve and meet, we are actually reflecting the gospel. We're reminding ourselves and we're reminding others of this. Jesus moved toward us. He came to meet us in our need. He came and took the initiative to serve us. And that your service is not based upon uh, any conditions or debt that you're paying back. Rather, it's simply the gospel that's moving us. I'm serving you. I'm ready. I'm willing to serve you because I have a Christ who served me. You know, it's important to understand that, you know, we don't serve each other because we're nice people. We're not nice people. You know, I hear often when Christians come, especially when they come to a place like Cornerstone, and, and, and I'll say, you know, what do you think about service? And, and they say the same thing, which is a ref- good reflection on, your, on you guys, which is um, everybody there is so nice. They're so nice. And, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, they are nice, but deep down, we're naughty. <laughs> not nice. We're selfish sinners. But why are we able to be nice, welcoming, loving, serving? Because we have a Christ who served us first. And so serving becomes a gospel reminder to me and to those I serve. Jesus came to serve me first. So with that, am I ready? Am I willing to serve others? Am I willing to start looking at my community with these new eyes? And here's an example of what that looks like. Just one example, but you know, after service, um, if you're new here, after service, we have a time of fellowship. You're more than welcome to come down and join us. But you know, after our service, everyone goes downstairs, and uh, it's a little crowded down there, and so you're busy navigating the room. Uh, you want to get to the food uh, before it runs out. Uh, you want to say hi to the people you haven't seen all week, and these are often your priorities. But if you have new serving eyes, then I think even the way you enter downstairs will begin to change because you'll start making moves that you may not have made before because you start seeing things you haven't seen before. And it's important to understand this doesn't require some kind of spiritual gift to do that. You're not doing it because anyone is asking for your help. You're doing it because you, as you step down, you're now ready and willing to serve. And so maybe you go downstairs and you see one person going back and forth between the kitchen and the fellowship hall and they're bringing food and they're bringing plates. And before you saw that, but you didn't really see it. And so now you'll go and you'll ask, how can I help? Maybe you go downstairs and you see a parent not being able to eat because they're holding their child. And you'll make yourself available and you'll say, how can I help you? Maybe you'll see a young mother not being able to talk to others because they're busy feeding their own kid. And instead of leaving them alone, you'll go and you'll talk to them where they are. Maybe you see somebody spill something by accident and they didn't notice. And instead of going, well, they spilled it, I didn't spill it. You'll grab a napkin and you'll go clean it up. It's not like when you go downstairs, all of these needs will suddenly start appearing as if they weren't there before. They were always there, but now you have new eyes to see because you are ready and willing to serve. 
Now, of course, this is just one very, very specific uh, 30-minute after-service example, but you can apply to all of your life. And just imagine what a community would look like if everybody had these eyes to begin serving instead of waiting around to be asked. You know, I really love when people serve in these ordinary ways. You know, in seminary, uh, all of these young seminarians are serving in these capacities of youth pastor or children's pastor. And, you know, one of the first questions you ask, you know, where are you from? You say, are you serving anywhere? Right? And most people, who, everyone who has a position is, oh, I'm serving here, I'm serving here. But there was, there was this one particular friend who, his response surprised me because it challenged the way I thought about serving when I said, uh, are you serving anywhere? And he says, yeah. And I was like, oh, what position do you have? And he was like, oh no, I, I go to church early and I help set up the chairs and then I clean the tables afterwards. And I, in my head, I was like, that's not serving. <laughs> but the reality is he had a better idea of serving. That we don't wait around to, be, to serve in capacities and positions and ministries and teams and committees, but we serve in the ordinary ways in which God calls us. You know, like feet washing didn't require a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, most of the ways that we're called to serve each other won't require that kind of extraordinary spiritual gift either. All it requires is a heart that's moved by Christ and the gospel to serve others. So that's our first point, being ready and willing to serve. Here's the second point, being ready and willing to be served. Ready and willing to be served. Um, I don't know about you, but the way I grew up, I always saw this dance between uh, my father and another Korean man when we would go out to eat and the bill would come out. And you'd always do this, and you know, I know I'm getting old myself because I do it too. With, you know, the bill comes out and they both grab, go for it. You know, I'll get it. No, no, I'll get it. No, it's okay, I asked you. No, no, let me get it. No, 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 you get it next time. And I would just stare like, is it too late to get dessert? You know, like, the check already came out. Can I ask for dessert? <laughs> that kind of back and forth is always comical to see. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter and Jesus are doing here, this back and forth. And it's really funny because Peter here is trying to out-humble Jesus. He can't out-humble the Son of Man. <laughs> he says in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said, what I am doing you don't understand, but afterward you won't understand. Peter says, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus saying, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter just no, 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 Lord, don't do it. And Peter, what he's, you have to understand, Peter here, he's being respectful. He's, he's trying to be a good disciple because he understands this is not a carpenter's son like everyone thinks he is. Yeah, sure, he's from Nazareth, but he is Lord. And that's why he often calls him Lord throughout the passage. And he's thinking, how can I let you, my Lord and my teacher, serve me in this kind of way? And that's right and true to some extent, except for this. Peter's actually missing a big part of the gospel, a big part of what it means to be called by Jesus. Because th that's this. Before you get to the fact that Jesus served you, you must always start with this admission. I need to be served. Right? Because the gospel actually requires that you begin with this humility. The freedom to admit, I am dirty, unclean, and stained, and I need the washing and cleansing power of Jesus to take those things away from me. All right, the gospel requires of everyone who receives it to have a heart that's ready and willing to be served by Jesus because you confess there is no other way you could ever cover or atone for your own sins. 
You see, often when we talk about foot washing, uh, we need to go into the context, the historical context of what foot washing was. And realistically, most of the time, people actually wash their own feet. You know, occasionally, a host would have a Gentile servant wash their guest's feet. But probably, and most likely, most common was that the host would provide a bowl for you to, and a towel for you to wash your own feet. And so you were expected to do that. You served yourself. I mean, Jesus could have done that at this supper. He could have said, okay, now it's time um, for the ritual cleansing and given a bowl and say, wash yourself. But instead, he reverses everything. And what he's actually saying when he stoops down low and washes the feet of his, of his disciples, he's saying this, he's saying, listen, you are so dirty that no matter how hard you scrub, that no matter how hard you try, there is no way you can wash yourself clean from your guilt and sin. He's saying, there is a stain on you that is so deep, it's like your soul has been bleached. You can't serve yourself. You need to be served by me. And so the gospel requires, beginning with this humility, this humble reminder, I am so sinful, I can't save myself. I am so guilty that the punishment of that guilt is eternal death. I am so in debt and I can't pay it back that it costs the sacrifice of the very Son of God. The gospel requires you begin with this very posture. I need to be served. And that's why Paul actually says the gospel is so offensive. It's a stumbling block to people because people don't want to begin here. You know, last week we talked about humility required to serve, right? That there's no one beneath you and nothing beneath you. But today, we want, I want to talk about the humility required to be served. Now, this point uh, may only speak to some of you. Some of you uh, love being served. You need the first point, serve! <laughs> but there's some of you who need to learn that to be a disciple of Christ be called into the community of God's people means you also need to learn to be served. You need to learn to admit and confess to yourself and to one another and to God that you are not self-sufficient. You are very dependent. You cannot do it all on your own. You need others. You need community, and that's okay. It's okay to be needy. You know, some of you, you love taking on the identity of servant because it makes you feel useful and needed. And you hate knowing you need to be served because it makes you feel useless and needy. But coming to grips with this is a healthy reminder of the gospel. I need to be served because I'm so dependent on God and others. You know, I, I hate being served. Oh no, that's a lie. I love being served. <laughs> I hate being served when it requires that my pride is killed when I have to put down this facade and appearance that says, you know, I don't need your help. I can do all things for myself. You know, some of you have that. You live your life saying, I am here for you. But you don't let anyone else be there for you. So yes, serve others. But also learn the practice and the rhythm of being served and, and let the humility required um, allow others to serve you. Now, I, I say that because I, I think uh, this community uh, loves serving one another. And it's beautiful to see that. Uh, but I'd like to see us start uh, receiving 
the service of others. You know, especially in the Asian culture, uh, Asian culture specifically, where it's, it's frowned upon to, to appear weak, uh, to receive other people's help. And so we all try to cover up our neediness. We're all really good at that. But we're not trying to, you know, strengthen our Asian culture. We're trying to create a gospel culture. A gospel culture where it says, you know, it's okay to be served, it's okay to be needy. That's not weakness. It'll actually strengthen everybody else because it'll strengthen the community. You know, I got uh, permission from a friend to share this story. Um, just a few months ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine from seminary, and uh, he was going through a really, really difficult time. He's a pastor at a church, and uh, he was trying to juggle family and juggle ministry, and both are demanding. And he began prioritizing ministry above his family. And he was really uh, neglecting his wife and was causing a lot of strain on their marriage. And he was having a really difficult time. And so as a result of that, he, he called me and he was saying, uh, Andrew, I'm considering taking a break from ministry. I think in order to focus on my family and be present for them, I need to step away from all this. Because you know, after all, uh, managing your household well is part of being a, a qualification for being an elder. And so we were talking about this and he was sharing his struggles. And he said something very humbling and very important uh, that made a lasting impression on me because he said something and allowed me to serve him better and, and help me be a better friend to him because uh, at one point he just stopped and he said, Andrew, I need you to do something for me. This is what I need from you. I need you to ask me time to time how my marriage is going. I need you from time to time to ask me how I am loving my wife. I need you to ask me these hard questions. And I was so humbled at that because he was confessing his need and he was letting me serve him. He was giving me that opportunity because to be honest, I didn't want to pry in. I don't want to be nosy. But he was saying, I know I need to be served in this way. And so instead of leaving me to guess how I was supposed to minister to him, he was letting me know in a very specific way. And so, you know, I hope as a result of that, um, I can do a better job. No, it, it's been good because now, time to time, I do regularly message him or I'll call him and say, how are you loving your wife? How are things going? And now I know when he says, oh, it's okay, I'll say, well, elaborate a little more. Now I know to say that because he's asked me to serve him in this way. It's important as a gospel community that we're able to admit our need from one, for one another and be able to accept help from one another. Right, it's a good practice for us. And of course, this has come from an attitude of entitlement. It's, 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 it's one thing to call or to talk to somebody and say, well, you know, I need you to do this for me because I like it this way. I need you to do this because it makes things more comfortable and convenient for me. But rather, I need you to do this because I've been trying to do it on my own and I just can't. I am too weak and too insufficient. I am struggling, I am hurting, I am lost, I am confused, I am not able to. Would you help me? You know, Peter thought he didn't need Jesus to wash his feet. I don't need you to serve me, Jesus. But Jesus was saying, you actually have no idea how needy you really are. You absolutely need me to serve you, and not just to wash your feet, but to cleanse you of all of your sin. That's what we need to hear Jesus saying to us as well. It's important to serve one another, and I hope that we all begin to do that, but it's also important to be served. And in so doing, we are practicing and reminding ourselves and each other of the gospel. So one, do as Christ did for you and serve each other. And as you serve, remember the gospel. Christ served me first. But also, 
realize that you're not Christ and you need to be served. And as you receive others' service, remember the gospel. I am needy. And I think if you engage in these two things, it'll help begin to create a community amongst us, uh, one that keeps the gospel at the center and allows us to be humble and, and, and open and, in, and admitting our neediness. And then it will also strengthen us because as it says here, and Jesus ends with this promise in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It is blessed to serve and it is a blessing to be served. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, Jesus who came and took on the form of a servant and he served us by giving his life up for us. Thank you also, Lord, that you did this not in response to us crying out to you, but you took the initiative. You moved toward us. And so, Lord, if this gospel is true and real in our hearts, may it transform us into a community that moves toward others, takes the initiatives toward others, doesn't wait for others to ask, doesn't wait to be asked, but just goes and serves. I pray also, Lord, that we would be a community that's able to admit our need and receive service from one another and humble gospel reminders that we are not sufficient for ourselves. Lord, in this way, transform us all to be servants. Make us servants after Christ's likeness because as he promises here, blessed are those who serve. Help us to receive and experience those blessings, especially as we are patterned after the likeness of the true servant, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen. People of God, receive now the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the servant of servants, and the love of God, the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Would you hear the words of dismissal? Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.